So we're doing Hidden Heroes series, and we've been doing it for a while, and today we are hitting curveballs from heaven, which I am excited to share on. We're going to read the passage in a short bit. Uh, I've got a story to share quickly, and that is the word indigo seven, or the two words, that's not one. Uh, the two words indigo seven um, have never ever left me since my lowest six year at school. What happened at our school is we went on these leadership camps, uh, which were kind of more like a military training zone. I don't exactly know the point, but that's what it was for you to suddenly become wise in a pre being a prefect at school. But we went on these trips and we got split up into these different teams. And so there's like 90 odd of us and we got split up into nine teams or so of 10 to 12 and we, we, we did it like that and Indigo 7 was my number. My color and my number, that was my team. Now, that would have been okay, so we all head onto the bus uh, out to Sanganai Creek, that's where we used to have it. And the buses drove past the Sanganai Creek turning. We were like, okay, maybe we're going to a new campsite and headed sort of like another 5Ks down the road and that's where they offloaded us for our nice little jog in to camp. And as we got off the bus, that's when they then split us into the teams. Now, we'd already been dunked in the pool at uh, the school before we left. They'd already confiscated all of our food because we weren't supposed to have our own little snacks and treats. That's what, that was for the prefix. And they even managed to work out that a lot of people had put condensed milk instead of sun cream in their sun cream things. They also worked that out and took that away. So we now get off the bus and they start calling out the names. Guy, tactics, eh, for sneaks. So they now start calling out the different names. Now, Indigo 7 and Indigo would have been a great name, except for when I saw everyone else in Indigo team. Now, it's not that I am the absolute elite in the school. I'd like to place myself a little bit above average. So when I saw the team that, to put it kindly, were a little bit below average, I started to think that this time, these three days, is going to be havoc for me and the team. It's like the worst thing ever. The people who, to, to get from the couch to the TV to turn it off was massively difficult um, in terms of fitness side, and, we, um, and the ones who just couldn't really care less about school at all, and we started with this 10K run into camp with this group, and there were punishments for those who came last, and I was like, well, of course we're last. What's the even point? But we, we tried. Now, I just have to get some of my friends. I left them out here. Just hold on. So, so we also had to bring with us, these were our kids, right? So we had our moms and dads, which were these massive logs to carry in our team, and then we had kids. And this is how our two kids started, but by the end, we started to break the bricks in half as much as we could, so we had to carry less. And these, we had to carry all the time with us, and our logs, our moms and dads, were never allowed to be on the floor. They had to, they had to lie on the kids, right? So these were our different bricks, and we had different names. I can't remember mine, but mine ended up like this very quickly. And we had to carry these and rucksacks around with us, and uh, it, it was terrible. So anyway, we do the run. We most definitely came in last by miles, and in fact, the whole leadership camp, we were the worst by a long way. I was absolutely deflated, and I was just sitting there going, Lord, how the heck? I've been so faithful to you. I've done everything right in this final year. I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong, um, which obviously I have, but I was just like, how could you place me in a team like this? The worst team. I was like, at least red three, or at least orange. I didn't have to be in and I forget the elite team, I think it was silver. They were just, they'd obviously rigged it and mom and dad had put money into the kitty and stuff like that, <laughs> as happens at the wealthier schools in Zim to get into teams. But my parents would never do anything like that. So anyway, I, I was just you know, going, Lord, how could, this is just gonna ruin it. I'm planning on being a prefect and I wanna get into this and uh, this team is just gonna ruin it for me because they are way below average. And I was probably weak in a certain area, a few areas anyway. So 
get into camp and for all the activities and everything else, we were last for everything. We were doing press ups all the time. And one of the leaders, one of the mentors on camp, who was, uh, they had different mentors above the prefects. He had done a number of camps with me and he got alongside me after a day and a half and he, and I was just gloomy and I was bleak and I was frustrated. And he was just like, listen, if you don't start doing something in this team or if you don't at least start encouraging them, like there is zero hope of you ever having any leadership at the school. And it was such a good moment because I had just got to this phase of just going like, I just don't care. Who cares, Lord? Obviously, I'm never supposed to be a prefect and this is just rubbish. This is my lot in life. But he, he encouraged me in the process and things really did turn the corner. I don't think they would have if it wasn't for him. But it was a real curveball for me as a lower six. It was a proper curveball. I was angry with God and I was angry with other people. It was only a leadership camp. That was one curveball that um, we faced, and many of you have faced many more. The other one we faced a year and a half ago with Sarah and I, and this was actually quite an interesting curveball. So, so there's my uh, beautiful daughter, she's younger, Erin, uh, and she is in the car, what do you call that place? The footwell, right? Something like that. What happened is, is we go down on holiday, it being a killer busy term, we go down on holiday, and we are just like, this is amazing, we're gonna be at the beach, whatever else, we thought, well, we'll go and see our great aunt who's 92 then, or whatever else. So we go and see her, we go out for a lovely coffee, it was great, we did a coffee together, we drive back to her house, and it's just been such a wonderful time. And we, she's in the front seat, and I help get her out of the front seat, and then I open the back door to get out um, our girls. And as I do, I notice something out of the corner of my eye, and she has just done a proper drop. And I caught her as her head almost hit the tarmac. I mean, it was definitely, it was just, it was amazing. I was like, Dish! and I caught her, it was brilliant. I mean, it was just, I was amazed by my reactions. But got her just in time, and when she came around, she was quite annoyed that she wasn't in heaven. She honestly, she was like, oh, it's only you, Craig. I thought it would feel different here. I was like, what are you talking about? It's only me. I just saved your head. Anyway, she was quite bleak that she wasn't in heaven yet. Then we managed to get her inside. She then had like another bail inside the house and we were like, there's obviously some big problems happening. Got her to the doctor. The doctor was like, there's a problem with her heart. We have to send her straight to um, have the pacemaker and stuff put in to make her look a little bit more like this. Um, a little bit more like Iron Man. That's how she does operate now. Um, like Glenn Miller, who was here with us, you know, has the pacemaker inside. So she's a bit more like Iron Man now. And so now started like three days of trying to work out things with medical aids. We got her to the Netcare Hospital. We've got Erin and we've got Layla a little bit older. Only one kid is allowed in a time and they're not even supposed to be in. So one of us is in the car, in the car park, trying to manage the chaos of one while the other's trying to settle her in and trying to sort out payments and everything else. And we, where we had decided to stay, we were like, we won't stay close to her, we'll stay in the mountains. So the place that we were staying was miles from where we were and those three days the start of, uh, of our trip was just carnage but she was more important than our trip and she is still alive to tell the tale at 90, Six. 96 and going strong so uh, th that was a huge curveball but what I'd like to say is in that process I feel like we handled it pretty well like I don't think it was it was plain sailing but unlike the other one in that curveball it was a lot more like okay Lord we don't know why we're in the situation this isn't fun but how can you help us in the process and we'll manage the kids and everything else it was a big curveball in our lives a year and a half ago but we made it through have you ever felt like you were pulled into a situation or you were placed in a situation in life that you would never have chosen for yourself, that you would never want to be in, but you're there and you can't do anything about it. Anyone felt like that in life before? A few, 
Sheesh, the rest of you guys have had just these brilliant, mind-blowing lives. No curveballs ever. Again, we have an astounding church. Um, we need to learn from these guys. Um, so something unexpected, something not very nice, something possibly painful, and you ask God, why am I in the middle of this? How has this happened? How has this come about? Um, why am I in the middle of this? Maybe it's a sickness that suddenly comes on you or on the family. Maybe it's a curveball in your marriage and suddenly the marriage looks like it's about to explode. Maybe it's in your business or it's financially and suddenly everything's pulled out from underneath you. Maybe it's an argument with a close friend. Maybe it's arriving at the petrol pump. This is a small curveball. And as they go to put the petrol on, they're like, sorry, it's empty. Happened to one of my friends last week, four hours later, and they were the car where they were like, oh, that's funny, it's not coming out. Oh, it must be empty. And maybe it's a small curveball, maybe it's on a larger scale. Now the person that we're gonna look at today, our hidden hero, occupies one verse in the Bible, was most definitely given a curveball from heaven, and was most definitely placed in a situation he would never ever have chosen for himself but he was there. So we'll um, read it, Luke 23, verse 26, and this is what it says. As they let, I'll let you all from standing up and reading it out together just this once because it's so short. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene or Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Uh, one verse, Luke 23, verse 26, repeated in Matthew and Mark, but one man, Simon of Cyrene. So to give you a little bit of a background to the story, so he's mentioned in Matthew and Mark, and in Mark 15, verse 21, it also talks about Simon with his two sons. So the two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And whilst we're not exactly sure why the son's names were ever mentioned. I'll give you a little bit of, of my thoughts in a bit. What it does do is it helps almost for the writing, so Mark writing to the people there, to show that they knew these people. Oh guys, Simon of Cyrene with his sons, uh, Alexander and Rufus, came in to help with this, i.e. they're around, you know them. It would be the same as you saying, oh, I went for coffee with Craig, he has two girls, Layla and Erin. It helps to verify that you actually know the person and that they're in the mix and that they're part of the family. So we're not exactly sure on that. The other thing is, is that in Romans 16, it talks about Paul connecting with someone called Rufus. And you always ask names in the, in the biblical text, why is that name there? Why did they bother to mention that name in their writings? And it is possible, we're not exactly sure, um, but Mark and Peter um, uh, wrote and connected a lot more in the Roman side, and it is possible that that Rufus is the same in terms of the son of Simon. We're not exactly sure, but it is possible, why else would it be mentioned? Now Cyrene as well, which is interesting to note, was in uh, modern day Libya, so northern tip of Africa. Um, and it was quite a mix at the time of foreign uh, Greeks and Jews who had moved across there as well as the local population in Libya at the time. And so, people don't exactly know, Simon could of himself been a local Libyan, he could have been or else he could have been a Jewish man living there and he could have moved across at the time or moving in towards Passover. So he could have been black, he could have been olive skinned, we're actually not sure, no one know, uh, says about the fact of exactly who he was, but we know that that's where he traveled in for most likely for the Passover, so coming into Jerusalem with his sons for the Passover. And I just love the fact that Mark and the writers and God himself brings Simon into the story almost just to show how much God cares about outsiders. 
whether he was Jewish origin, whether he was Libyan, I love the fact that it just brings into the story, hey, this person who was a foreigner, not necessarily of Jewish uh, origin, not necessarily there living in Jerusalem and part of the mix, I care about him and I care about his story. And so for you, maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you're here in Zimbabwe from a different nation. Maybe you've traveled somewhere different. Maybe just in and of yourself, you feel like a bit of an outsider. God cares. You're part of his story. He wants you part of his story. And so Simon faces a dramatic curveball. He comes in from the countryside, it says. So he was coming in from the country, and you imagine him walking in. Now, he may have heard of Jesus, he may not have heard of Jesus. He might have been out for the day and have known about the trial happening. He might not have at all. We're not exactly sure of that story, but either way, he comes in, and I imagine as he walks in, there's sort of some crowds that are, le- um, are lining this path, and there's probably some shouting. There would have been some Roman centurions, or centurions around, and uh, he sort of walks in on this, and either he's just walking through trying to get into the city, or else he's walking to sort of peer in to see what's happening. But as he peers in, imagine suddenly feeling these hands of this God as you're sort of there, the centurion who's kitted out with his, his sword and everything, and he's suddenly just hurled into the center, and now he suddenly sees there's this man sort of um, hobbling over with this cross over the top of him, and they suddenly like, no, this guy can't carry it anymore. We need to get him to the crucifixion. So you pull in, put it on his back, and walk. Tell him to just walk. I mean, that is one serious curveball. That's a proper curveball to face when you're casually coming in from the countryside on a little, a little bit of a walk and suddenly you're carrying someone's cross to their death, immensely heavy cross at that. It would have been uncomfortable, it would have been painful, obviously not as bad as those about to be crucified. There would have been all these questions like, what's happening to me? What are the gods gonna do to me? Am I just gonna carry the cross? Do they have something else for me? What are they gonna do if I can't carry it? Because they say for grown men to carry the crosses was very difficult, but he had no choice. He was thrown into this story with no choice. He had a guard over him with a a sword or a whip in case he didn't do what he was told. He had no choice. Talk about a curveball from heaven. So what do you and I do? How should we respond as Christ followers when we're thrown into a situation that we didn't choose, that is uncomfortable or painful, that we don't have answers to, but we're in? How should we respond? That's what we're gonna look at today. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you're exploring faith. Well, I hope as we go through this, you'll see how we should and how we can respond as Christ followers. And I trust the hope and the purpose that we have as Christ followers that maybe just maybe you're looking in on today. Maybe just maybe you're looking in and you're exploring church and you're going, is there something different to this just being a club? Is this just a fun club on a Sunday or is there something different? I trust you'll see that today. So I feel there's four key steps that Simon went through in his journey that all of us need to go through when we have a curveball in our lives. All of us need to face and operate in these four steps and I trust that what we see in them will be absolutely invaluable to you. First one is to trust God. Now trust is something quite interesting. Trust is something you can't really do half-heartedly. You have to do it properly. So if you're going uh, bungee jumping or gorge swinging at Victoria Falls, what you have to trust in is obviously that the person tied it on and connected it properly. But once they've done that, effectively you've got this bungee cord and that's really between you and death. Obviously they've got safety ones and everything else, but you're placing your life and your trust in that elastic band. That's what trust is. You're not placing it in anything else. You're saying, who I am for my survival and for my life 
it's in this cord. Same would be for someone jumping out of a plane with a parachute, and the list could go on. Now, when we place our trust in God, it's saying, God, for my life, in the present and in the future, I'm putting it on you and nothing else. That's absolute trust. We can sort of do half-hearted trust, but absolute trust is reliance on someone or something for everything. And this has to do with loving God with our mind, trusting him. So Jesus mentioned the greatest commandment, and this comes out of the Old Testament, to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When it comes to trusting him, a huge part of that is loving him with our mind, with our intellect, with our understanding. Emotions can't always be trusted, but truth can. We've got to learn to not always trust our, Ian spoke on this uh, a while ago on his trip to the airport. Our emotions, we can't always trust. In fact, we shouldn't always trust them. But truth, we can. We find truth in God's word and in him uh, himself. And it's so important to know how we're going to respond mentally to a curveball before it happens. I can't tell you how important this is. You have to know in your mind, as a Christ follower, how you're going to respond to a situation before it happens and catches you by surprise. Because when something catches you by surprise, and it will be a surprise, if you haven't worked out how you're gonna go through it in your mind, emotions will take over, and you probably won't be able to think reasonably. So the most important factor first is how are you gonna operate when this happens in your mind? We need to stand on God's promises even if circumstances seem contrary to that. There's so many astounding passages I could look at in terms of God's, what, why we can trust him. So many astounding ones. One that many of you may know well, Romans 8 verse 28. A number of you may be able to recite this, but we know in all things and other translations would say all things, and in all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. So you go, if the Bible is truth, I know no matter what curveball I face, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter how terrible it looks, okay, scripture tells, tells me that this will still somehow work out for my good. I don't know how, but somehow God is gonna bring good out of that. Okay, I may not feel like that, but I'm gonna trust that. I'm gonna trust his word. I don't understand what's happening, but I'm gonna trust him on that. Number of other ones, Proverbs three, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Okay, Lord, I don't know why I'm in this curveball, but I'm gonna trust you and I'm not gonna lean on my own understanding, I'm gonna lean on your understanding in the situation. Few others, uh, he knows the number of hairs on our head, he's marked out our days, he knows when Craig's final day on earth is 100%, I can't change that, he knows when it's gonna be, I can trust him in that. We were reading this in our devotions as, uh, as a church office team this morning about the fact that in 2 Timothy 3, before he gets onto all scripture is God breathed, there's a little phrase where Paul says to his young friend Timothy, now I just want you to know that everyone who tries to live a godly life will be persecuted. Everyone, anyone who attempts to live a life for Christ and live the right way is gonna face tough stuff. Uh, Jesus saying, in this world you will have trouble. The list could go on and on, but there's loads of scriptural basis for us being able to trust God and to know um, that we are in safe hands with him. So, you and I have a choice when we get the curveball. We don't know how Simon responded, right? He could have been carrying that cross going, oh, I hate this, why the heck has this happened? Or else he was just in terrible fear. We don't know actually where his mind was at in the process. I would hope that his mind was in a pretty good place, but we're not exactly sure. 
But you can have, start off, if you're not prepared in your mind, you can start off and you'll go for it. You'll blame other people, you'll blame yourself, you'll blame Satan, you'll blame God. The list is endless if things catch you by surprise. Or you can say, God, I don't understand why I am in this mess. I'm angry, I'm upset that I'm in this mess and I don't know how I'm gonna get through it at all, why I've been thrown this curveball. But one thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna place my trust in you. One thing, and the first thing I'm gonna do is place my trust in you. So that's the first one, is to trust God. And the practical application is you need to do this mentally and in your mind, loving God with your mind, before a trial happens. If you're in one now, you might have to do a little bit of backtracking to do it, but in your mind, you need to be going, okay, Lord, if things turn up pear-shaped in my life, I know that the first thing that I'm gonna do is I'm gonna trust in you even if it makes no sense. First thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna stand on scripture and I'm gonna trust in you. So get memorizing some scripture, get your mind right when, when things take you by curveball. Lord, how am I gonna act when I get to the petrol station? This is a small one. I get to the petrol station and the fuel runs out as I get there. What is my response gonna be to the petrol attendant, to the car in front of me, to the people who jump the queue? What is my response gonna be? When I'm desperate for a loaf of bread and I get there early at pick and pay to open at seven and they tell you it's only opening at eight and so you get going with some other things and as you get there at eight, there's like 50 people and there's only 12 loaves of bread and you know you're not gonna get it, how are you gonna respond? Now those are miniature little trials Work out how you're gonna respond before they happen so that when you have the bigger ones that hit you, you know how to. Perfect, don't worry, the other ones are quick. Next one, and I'll just read a short bit, is to follow him. Next one is to follow Jesus through the trial. So it says, as they led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. They laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. This is such a great picture of what Luke says a little bit later on, or sorry, a little bit earlier about what it means to be a Christ follower. He says in Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What a great picture we have of Simon of Cyrene actually t carrying a physical cross and following behind the Savior. When you're in the trial and in the midst of it, the challenges as I said, to either get angry with God and run away from him because we don't understand why, or to say, God, I still trust you in the midst of my limited understanding and I'm gonna follow after you and I'm gonna run hard after you in the trial. We have those choices, but as a disciple, that's what Jesus calls us to. I was thinking as I prepared, I wonder what Jesus said to Simon, or just the look in his eyes if he wasn't able to speak when Simon picked up that cross and was following after him. I, I know he looked obviously at different people, he had enough to say um, to John, look after these people, but I just wonder what his eyes said, or what he said. Was it just a really soft-spoken thank you for helping me finish what I came here to do? Thank you for helping me fulfill the purpose that God had for me to do. Just hours earlier, he'd been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, God, if there's a way for me to save the world without this happening, please take it from me. And being in such anguish that his sweat, blood started to come through his, his sweat as a result. I just wonder what he said to this random stranger who had arrived to, he obviously knew was gonna do that, but just the, the look of his eyes to just say, thank you. Thank you for helping me get done what I needed to do.
as you go through a trial, follow Christ. Press into him, don't run away from him. And as I said, you'll only be able to do this if you've prepared mentally how you're gonna go through the trial first. Once you prepare mentally, you're gonna be able to follow through and press into God with your soul, with your spirit. It's loving God with your soul. This is where friendships come in, it's where church family comes in, it's where they're so important. Through the trial, you and I need friendships who will push us towards Christ and not away. We need family members, we need friends, we need a church who as we're going through a trial will push us towards Christ. I met with someone, um, a good friend of mine this week, I met with him twice, Um, their marriage is down the tubes after a year and a bit of marriage um, in different nations and uh, I I was able to meet and pray with him and he's not really in a place actually to hear what I have to say in terms of scripturally but I was able to in terms of voice and just prayer uh, to just nudge him and point him towards Christ. Now the easy tendency is and I've heard this a number of people to go, listen, bro, it just hasn't worked. Marriage isn't really that important. Divorce doesn't really matter that much. Just get remarried again. Just ask for forgiveness. It doesn't really matter. Just, you know, you, you guys just aren't meant for each other. I've heard Christ followers sharing that. That's pointing people away from Christ. We need friends around us who will point us to the truth and will challenge us no matter how hard it is to follow Christ because that is the best place to be. Those friendships are so important. We have the advantage that Simon didn't have during the trial he faced. We know the end of the story. So Simon, when he first got into that place carrying the cross, he didn't know that Jesus was gonna rise again yet. Maybe Semi thought it might happen, but he didn't know, we know that. We know as Christ follows that Jesus has died, he's risen again, that he lives in our hearts, that he comes to give us uh, power in the spirit. We know the end of the story. And so we can run towards him knowing that he has the rest at hand and in control. Two more, we close. Endure with him, endure with him. I don't think that that walk was an easy walk that Simon took. We don't know exactly how long it was from the city gates up to the Golgotha. It probably wasn't a huge distance, but with the weight of the cross and with the scraping of it, was, as I said, nowhere near as bad for the others, but it would have been immensely difficult for him and something that he had to endure. Look at these two verses quickly. James 1, 2 to 4. Sorry, listen to them. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance, and let perseverance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Hebrews, 1, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. But the second part, keep your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was laid before him, he endured the cross. Simon went through a level of endurance, Jesus went through more, but something that we need to do in our trials is persevere. We do that with the help of God, we do that when we're loving him with our soul, when we're loving him with our mind, that's when we love him with our strength. That's the hard yards, that's going 100% when we feel like we can't anymore. And again, friends, family, and church community are so, so vital to help us in this process. If you're feeling like you're in a trial right now and you just can't get through, if you're feeling you're in a trial and you're just going, there's no ways I'm ever gonna be able to come through it, that's why we're here. That's why as leaders we're here, that's why your life group is here, that's why your friends and family are here, it's to help you through it, it's to help you persevere through what God has called you to. 
It's loving God with our strength. So important, again, choose your friends wisely. Now, as I come to close, and this may be quite a strange one in terms of how do we face curveballs from heaven, is to give thanks. <laughs> and this is just so ridiculously upside down. Not to give thanks for necessarily the terrible thing. Often this will happen afterwards, but I just wonder, once Simon stood there at the foot of the cross, when Jesus had just shouted, it is finished. Darkness had covered the land, he had cried out, the temple curtain was torn in two, the earth shook. And then later on in the days to come where they found out that the grave was empty and that Jesus was appearing to people, hundreds of people all over the place and he was alive again. I just wonder whether Simon gave thanks that he was privileged to be part of those final steps of God's purpose on earth. I reckon he would have said, I hated carrying that cross and I hated even now the splinters I've got in my back and my back is raw and it's rubbed raw and my muscles are aching over that time. But jeesh Lord Jesus, thank you that I got to walk with you in that trial. Thank you that I got to be part of your great purpose. I didn't even know what it was when I got into it. <laughs> I didn't even know what purpose you had for me when I got into it, but now I see. Now I see that you still brought good out of the pain that I faced. 1 Thessalonians 5, and this is where it's possible. Rejoice always. If it's in scripture, it's truth. It shows that we can rejoice all the time. No matter what trial we're in, no matter what curveball we face, we can rejoice. Pray constantly, but why is it so important that we rejoice? It's not just we have to get it out of our own, out of our own selves. Why is it so important? Verse 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you wanna be in God's will, if you wanna be walking where he wants you to be, if you wanna be walking in the sweet spot of the Christian life, not the easy spot of the Christian life, the sweet spot of the Christian life, if you wanna be walking through that, and you wanna be walking in that, it comes from gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances because it's God's will. You don't need to ask God the question of God, where should I be next year? Where should I be in six months time? What should I be doing? Start giving thanks, he'll show you. Start giving thanks in every situation and he will show you. Thankfulness unlocks so much. It's God's will and there's always something to be grateful for. So you and I, as I close, we've got two options when we get a curveball from heaven. Two options. Number one, get angry with God, get angry with other people, turn from him, but miss out on being part of his purpose and miss out on the sweetness of a close relationship with him in the process. That's option one. It may feel, may feel better because you can get angry with someone or something or get angry with him. It may be a short-term relief, but you'll miss out on what it is to love and serve him in the process. Or option two, Embrace mystery. Live humbly before God in the trial. See him at work firsthand in the messiness of your life. See him working. See him working miraculously in the messiness of your life. And be part of God's plan in accomplishing his mission on earth. Simon might have said, God, but how can carrying a bloody heavy cross through crowds of shouting, wailing people be part of your purpose for me? Yes, it was, that was his role. And in fact, if he hadn't done that, would he have been part of God's ultimate mission to save us for all eternity? 
I don't know what situation you're in right now. I don't know what situation you're going to be thrown into tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But I pray that you and I would, through the process, we would love God with our minds as we trust them. We'd love him with our souls as we follow after him. We'd love him with our heart as we're grateful and we pour out emotion as he's died on the cross for us. And we'd love him with our strength as we push on, even when it's costly. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'd love us to respond just in these few moments before we celebrate the end of winter together. I don't want you to leave here without just a little bit of support from church family if you feel like you've got the curveball happening in your life right now. And no one needs to know what the curveball is, but it is good for us to respond and have boldness and courage to say, I'm facing a curveball, maybe a bit like Simon's, maybe worse, maybe easier, but I know I've been tending towards option one, running away from God, or I've just been, I've been struggling in it, and I really need help to live out option two. So that this trial, um, I experience a closeness with Christ and a purpose. Um, as a result of the end of it. So if that's you and the curveballs hit you hard, I'd love you to raise your hand now. I'd love you to raise it and just say, I'm facing the curveball. It's hit me out of nowhere. The situation is crazy. I, I just don't think I can do it on my own strength, but I acknowledge that that's me. A few hands going up. Be, be bold, put your hand up um, and say, God, this is, this is, this is the curveball. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I'm not gonna ask you to stand, but I am gonna pray for you and I am gonna get people around you to put their hands on you because we care about this together as a family. There's a number of hands. Just where you're um, sitting, if someone around you has put up their hands, that's great. Um, and be bold, put up your hand if no one's seen you. Um, Raise it up high if you don't have a hand on your shoulder yet. Just raise up your hand a little bit higher. Guys around are just gonna look around. We just wanna place our hands on you. Jesus asked us to do it. It's a way for us to identify with you in the struggle. It's a way for us to say we support you and we believe in the power of prayer. So that's great, um, hands are on people. Um, and otherwise, what you can do as I pray for these people is you can take it all in and say, Lord, please prepare me in those four ways so that I go through the trial and I grow closer to you in it when it happens. So you can be doing that by yourselves. You can just be saying, God, give me all that I need when the next trial comes, which we are gonna face. Let's pray for these people quickly. You guys can pray as I pray, but let's pray quickly. Lord Jesus, thank you for every single person who's raised their hand to say, I'm in a tough spot, I'm in a trial right now, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to respond. Lord, I wanna thank you for their boldness, I wanna thank you for their courage and saying, I need help from you, God, and I need help from church family, I need some prayer power right now. And as we lay hands on them and as we pray, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you come in power. I thank you that you're a God who comes in truth so that we can trust you. I thank you that you come with the love that you've proved to us on the cross so that we experience your love. I wanna thank you that you um, come with all the strength that we need to go through the trial. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you um, come and you mix, you, you intertwine with our spirit and you give us the soul power to go through this trial. I ask for these people that right now they would have an amazing supernatural dose of you, that Lord Jesus, in this trial that they're facing now, that they would turn to you, they would run hard after you, not the other direction. And Lord Jesus, we stand on Romans 8.28 that everything will work out for our good. I ask that you would deliver them from the trial, I ask that you would take them out of the trial, and I ask as they look back on this trial, they would see a closeness in a relationship from you, they would see a purpose in the mix of the mess, that ultimately they would be closer to you and more effective for you as a result.
for everyone else who's just been connecting with you now and preparing for the trial. Lord Jesus, I ask that as Christ followers and as Harvest family here today, I ask that we would go through trials, we would go through the curveballs of heaven in a way that honors you, in a way that shines your light, in a way that shows people the reality of who you are to us. People would look in and say, there's no ways that someone can go through that trial and still be giving thanks. That's impossible. We would say, yes it is, but for God. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that this is not some happy club we come to to tick off a box on a Sunday, but this being together as your family, your living, breathing body. Lord Jesus, I ask as we head out and as we celebrate today that we would be true friends, true brothers and sisters who encourage and point each other towards you, that we would be full of life and joy, that the city would see a difference, that our work colleagues would see a difference, that our family members would see a difference in us. Lord Jesus, that we would be your hands and feet in this city. Your name we pray, amen.